This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN. We're listening to Pat O'Keefe. I'm officially at the point now where Brian Cashman scares me with his decisions. For some reason, Brian Cashman thought it was okay to try to outsmart the system that had worked for decades. The system that leads to winning in Yankee Stadium, which is bringing in high on base percentage guys, left-handed hitters, power hitters who can utilize that ballpark, the short porch and right field. It's almost like he got tired of hearing about it. There's a difference between being the third wild card team and being an actual World Series contender. Right now, they're neither. But I don't know if anybody is looking at this Yankees team right now and saying this is a World Series contender. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. All right, here till midnight, top of the hour on 98.7, Got off on a bit of a Yankees tangent, as we often do this time of year, especially, uh, well, in good times and in bad. And I wouldn't say the times are good right now for the Yankees. The Mets, meanwhile, another quick update. Well, no update from what I said five minutes ago. They are set to resume their game in the eighth inning, the bottom of the eighth inning, at 11-20. The tarp is coming off the field at City Field. Hopefully the rain has subsided. The Mets tied the game in the bottom of the eighth. There is a pitching change. That's when they delayed the game. And when they resumed, the Mets will have the bases loaded with one man out. So they were trailing all night, 1-0, tied it up 1-1. And we'll see if they can finish the comeback and hand the ball in all probability to David Robertson with a lead in the top of the ninth inning at City Field, leading off this four-game weekend series against the Nationals. So second full day of training camp for the New York football Giants. And Saquon Barkley spoke to the media for the first time. So Barkley obviously has been the topic of hours of conversation on this and other platforms over the last month with his contract dispute with the Giants that finally got resolved. Although Barkley, even after it was resolved, Barkley, in an honest moment, said that he was disappointed with the contract that he signed, but he signed it anyway. And it was a surprise when he signed it on Tuesday morning, right before the Giants' full team was expected to or not expected, required to officially report for the start of training camp. There was no media availability on Tuesday, so the media wasn't even inside the facility. All right, Wednesday, first media availability, first full practice for the team. Barkley didn't speak on Wednesday. He spoke today. So until today, there's been a lot of time for people to give their opinion on who the winner and the loser is in this entire saga was Barkley against the Giants, Barkley against Joe Shane, what have you. Look, Barkley is a top five running back in the NFL. I I think that's pretty accurate and a pretty conservative place to put him. He's also the best player on the Giants. He's also the most important player on the Giants. And age-wise, he's right smack in the middle of the prime of his career. Now, at his position, that window of being in your prime – closes quicker than other positions. And therein lies the problem for Saquon Barkley. The Giants and every team in the NFL is no longer willing to invest money in somebody playing that position long-term. And certainly not willing to invest a lot of that money guaranteed long-term for somebody playing in that position. And as good as Barkley is, as great a guy as he is, as great a leader as he is, he's not an exception to this rule. And unfortunately for Barkley, he found out the hard way. And they offered him 
reportedly up to $23 million guaranteed, which he reportedly turned down. Then when they didn't come to an agreement before the deadline, he had to sign for the franchise tag of one year and just about $10.1 million, except the only other option was to sign a different contract, but it had to also be for a one-year deal. So essentially what Barkley did before the start of training camp was he gave himself the opportunity for about another 900000 to a $1 million with three separate incentives based on games played, based on touchdowns, um, yardage. But all of those incentives are tied with the all-important incentive of the Giants make the playoffs for each of them to click in. The Giants have to make the playoffs, and Barkley has to do something individually. Barkley lost this negotiation, but he knows he lost and all of the post-game analysis of this negotiation between Barkley and the Giants and all of the people saying how much Barkley is going to regret this. Look, I think he, and, and this meaning, you know, the picture was painted of Barkley kind of crawling back to the Giants the morning of training camp report day, Tuesday morning, to sign this contract for slightly more than the franchise tag was worth. And I just don't think that's fair to Barkley. Barkley lost the negotiation, but it wasn't his fault. He lost because any running back in that position would have lost. But Barkley chose to sign the contract on Tuesday morning. It was Barkley's choice. We all thought he was going to hold out, see you in September. Maybe there was going to be some sort of a hold-in where he would report right before week one, just in time to get all of the money on his contract, but not really be ready to play in an NFL game for maybe three or four weeks towards the end of September. And he did not take that route. He chose to re-sign because having his contract at the start of training camp was important to him. Being a part of not just any team, but in his case, being a part of this team is important to him. Winning here in New York... And Barkley got his first taste of that last year. Winning here in New York is important to him. And I think that people need to realize this. Before the deadline, when the conversation was, well, who's right and who's wrong, there wasn't a right or wrong. The Giants were doing what was best for them within the system and what it allows. And Barkley was doing what was best for him within the system and what it allows. And they couldn't come to an agreement. But before that deadline passed, I actually fielded calls on this station regarding Barkley. Fans, giant fans, asking why isn't winning important anymore? This had nothing to do with winning. There was nothing wrong with wanting to win and wanting to earn as much money as you possibly can. Just because you want to earn as much money as you possibly can in your really last opportunity of your career to cash in on a big long-term contract does not mean that winning is not important to you. And I think by signing the contract that he did on Tuesday morning proved that even more. That Barkley, yes, of course he wants to get paid as much money as he can. Who doesn't? I do. Harvey and Joe do. Everybody wants to get paid as much as they possibly can. But for this guy, winning is also important. And winning as a New York Giant is also important. And being there with his teammates, 
for his teammates in training camp is also important. He proved that winning is important to him and so is being part of this team. And I don't think that is something that he should be criticized for. This is his own personal decision regarding his career. And I had read commentary after the fact that, boy, he didn't do any of the other running backs any favors. The Josh Jacobses, the Tony Pollards of the world, um, the Jonathan Taylors, the next group of running backs that are coming up and are going to find themselves in a similar situation. Barkley caved. Barkley, quote-unquote, caving to the Giants and giving in, going back with his tail between his legs. He did all of that with his eyes open. Because of the finances and the circumstances that now um, determine league-wide what a running back is worth, even a great running back like Saquon Barkley, he has no choice in the matter. There's nothing more he could have done. What you... If you you want him to play better last year, I don't think you can play better than Barkley can. Maybe a little bit better. But as a totality of what he did last year, you want him to play better. And guess what? If he does play better this year, he's going to be in the exact same situation. Barkley recognized that there's nothing he could do. Is he happy about this? No, he said so today. He said he's disappointed. But he knew that he didn't. he liked this option, signing a contract having an opportunity to earn a little bit extra money, but being with his teammates at the start of training camp and starting to build something towards this new season after finally getting a taste of winning in New York, and not only winning in New York, but being the best player on a team winning in New York. He liked that, and that opportunity to be part of that from the beginning of training camp for him was more important than showing his displeasure, than holding out, than making a point. And he should not be criticized for that. It's his decision. It's his life, and it's his career. It also benefits the Giants, right? So the people that are criticizing Barkley for quote-unquote caving, I'm not really sure who their allegiances are with because Giants fans should be thrilled about this. And you could still look at Barkley and be like, you know, it's unfortunate. It kind of sucks for him. I, You know, I don't know that a regular fan... Um, making a regular salary and working a regular job is going to feel bad for a guy making $10.1 million. But in the context of what running backs make, what he makes, and what guys in other positions make, yeah, it's a shame for him. He picked the wrong position. Just like you can look at guys who played in the NBA in the 60s and the 70s who laid the foundation for freaking Jalen Brown. (laughs) I can't even say this with a straight face. Jalen Brown, when he's 32 years old, The guy who can't even dribble a basketball with his left hand, Jalen Brown, in five years, is going to be making $69 million a year. So, yeah, you're damn right I'm going to look at Jerry West or Walt Clyde Frazier, guys who were better than Jalen Brown on his best day, and be like, oh, it's a shame that they didn't hit it at the right time. The same goes for Saquon Barkley. Unfortunately for him, he didn't hit it at the right time. If he was a running back 15 years ago, he would have cashed in big time. 20 years ago, cashed in big time. This is where it is right now. And he shouldn't be criticized for his decision to sign the contract on Tuesday. He wants to be with the team. He wants to win with the team. That is not something you should criticize a player for. 
All right, so let's hear some from Barkley earlier today on being back with the Giants. Um, how's it feel to be here? Feels good. Um, good to be back in the locker room. Uh, good to see familiar faces uh, within the facility. Um, I'm doing what I love. All right, what about the decision, the kind of last-minute decision to report to camp on Tuesday and accept that one-year deal? I had an epiphany. No, the, the reality of it is, is one, I kind of just followed my heart. Obviously, I've, I heard what everyone was saying in, in the news or social media, but I kind of just followed my heart. Um, and then, you know, you got to look at it as a business point. Uh, from a business view, well, I felt like what's the best thing that I can do? Um, and some people may agree or disagree with this. And, you know, to sit out or sit in. And I feel like for this year specifically, the best thing that I can do um, for myself would be coming back, uh, going out there, play the game that I love, playing for my teammates, um, doing something I want to do since I was a little kid. And I understand I know what's going on with the running back situation and me being tagged and the value of the running back continue going down. Um, only way that I feel like, you know, someone that's, that's going to change, uh, someone got to make a change. And God willing, hopefully I could be one of those people. The only thing he could do is play as well, if not better, than he did last year. I don't think it's going to make a huge difference in this current climate, which is, again, unfortunate for him. But that's his best option because he's in a position now where he has to sing for his supper more than guys at other positions. And speaking of that, was it challenging for Barkley to see some of his teammates? You know, Dexter Lawrence in the offseason, Andrew Thomas, obviously his backfield mate, Daniel Jones. They all signed big contracts this offseason. Was it challenging for Barkley to see his teammates get those big contracts before him? No, because uh, at the end of the day, uh, anybody who knows me, I, I'm all about my teammates and my brothers getting paid. I'm all about success coming to them, uh, even though my situation to go uh, the way that I would likely to go. Uh, Andrew Thomas signed a big deal. Daniel signed a big deal. Dex signed a big deal. Uh, that's deserving. Those guys deserve it. Um, I'm so happy for them. And you see out throughout the league, there's people that get paid every single year, and I'm happy for those guys too. But what I will say for the running back position, um, not speaking necessarily on my teammates that got signed, there's a lot of running backs out here that are a pivotal a key point to having teams have success in this league and helping teams have success in this league and the, the, the way that we are getting devalued I don't think it's it's not fair at all um, but life's not fair and you know hopefully God willing I stay healthy so I can show him but I can tell him. the two truest things that Barkley has spoken or tweeted during this whole process are that life's not fair and when the deadline passed last Monday it is what it is and both of those things can aptly describe where he's at right now now one of the things that he mentioned a couple of times in the lead up to the deadline that he was fully aware of one of his options was to sit out of training camp and again right up until Tuesday morning when the news broke that he had signed that one-year contract right up until Tuesday morning I think everyone from Jordan Renan to me to all of the Giants fans were assuming that that was the path he was going to take so did Barkley consider sitting out training camp yeah I was. Um, that's a play that I have. Um, but I'll be completely honest. Uh, if I sat out this year and say if the the New York Football Giants and I sat out and we didn't have a good record, you think that's going to make another team in free agency or the Giants want to have me come back the next year after I sat out, sat out a whole year and be like, oh, we want to give you $15 million a year now. Like, I don't think, I don't think that's how it's going to work. And 
after you know having conversations and really breaking it down, when you sit there and you break it down like that, he's like, you know, only way that I'm gonna make a change or do something that's gonna you know benefit for myself and my family is doing what I do best, and that's showing up, playing the game I love. So it's really some really honest thoughts from Saquon Barkley in his first time speaking with the Giants media on on Thursday at training camp in East Rutherford, New Jersey, and he chose to sign. It was important for him to be there with his teammates. He wants to play here. He wants to be a part of this. He wants to do that more than he wanted to prove a point and show his displeasure and his disappointment. And the people that are ridiculing Barkley for caving are coming back with his tail between his legs. I just think they're off base here. It's this guy's career. It's this guy's life. Um, he has 100% of the decision to do what he feels is best for himself. Let's uh, get a quick call in here. Tommy in Connecticut. Tommy, what's going on? Yeah, good evening, bud. How are you? We're doing all right. It's actually funny that we were on the Saquon topic because me and Joe were chopping it up and discussing that the two most underpaid groups of uh, people are the NFL running backs and the MLB grounds crew <laughs> because those poor Mets, <laughs> the poor Mets ground crew was holding onto that tarp for dear life. They were. They had to bring out the two-by-fours. I think there was, like, one of those gators that was – not a real gator, but, you know, one of those vehicles that was holding it down near home plate. They they did a great job getting it down there at City Field. But and it's yeah, up now. It's up now, so we got some baseball good. coming. Absolutely. Uh, and before I make my Juan Soto uh, point, are you surprised with the uh, Rangers at all that of the two guys that they traded for at the deadline that they let Tarasenko go? Because I don't think – I don't think they're going to try and re-sign Kane. Only if the number is so low that they can fit him in. But, you know, they didn't. They got a little from Tarasenko. They got nothing from Kane. You know, Kane just... No, he was useless. Yeah, and I just think he's at that point in his career. And he wasn't... Look, he was a big name before they got him, and that's what led to all of the excitement. But he wasn't knocking anybody's socks off in Chicago before... They got him, and I wasn't really surprised that he did what he did or didn't do as a Ranger. Well, yeah, and he also didn't have, like, hip surgery or something, too? Yeah, yeah. So so. he's got a lot of miles on him. What, first-round pick? He was in the NHL at the age of 19 years old. Now he's 34 years old or whatever he is. That's a lot of skating. Uh, Yeah, definitely. Um, But I think you're completely right as far as the Yankees go with Soto. Uh, One, you're going to get a year and a half out of him. Uh, the only thing is, I think his number is going to be astronomical because I don't think he's—I don't think he'll sign an extension uh, after this season. He's a Boris client. I think he's going to want to go to true free agency. And like you think of the numbers that he turned down from Washington, where he won a World Series, and honestly, it kind of makes like Judge's contract look normal, you know. Because Soto turned down what ten for three hundred, and he, he laughed at it. Yeah, he probably should have. Because he was twenty one at the time, I think twenty two maybe. Right. Well, I mean, you see where these salaries are going in all sports with the TV deals and judges' contract. I mean, it'll it'll look less than ideal in five years because of his age, but judges isn't going to be the top in the top fifteen highest paid players in five years. I'll bet you. No, not at all. Not even close. 
So it's all about timing. And Soto's like, why would I give up my leverage now at the age of 21? So, look, if the Yankees trade for him, Tommy, and thanks for the call, if the Yankees trade for Juan Soto, they get this year, they get next year. And I understand he's going to probably take this all the way to free agency because, as Tommy said, and he's right, I agree with him, Scott Boris is his agent, and Boris' clients go to free agency so they can see who actually gives you the best offer or the highest offer. But the Yankees don't lose guys who they don't want to lose. Now, we haven't really seen the Yankees go toe-to-toe in this new Steve Cohen world. But what's the Mets payroll going to look like at that point? You know, we're just waiting for that bidding war between the Yankees and Steve Cohen. For that one big star. It's got to come at some point. Is it going to be Juan Soto? I don't know, but that's going to be fascinating. I remember the days of bidding wars between the Yankees and other teams or less frequently the Mets and other teams, but we've never had like a real, you know, duel, the Yankees and the Mets going at and if there's there's very few players worth doing that for. Juan Soto's one of them. He'll hit free agency, he'll be twenty six years old. And he's got all the attributes that the Yankees in specific need. On base, left handed hitting, prime of his career. Yankees don't have enough of any of those things. In fact, I don't know if they have any of those things in their lineup right now. I'll have some more thoughts on the Yankees and how they got into this situation, and they have resumed play at City Field. The Mets and the Nats tied at one with the bases loaded in the bottom of the eighth and one out. We'll follow along here in 98.7 ESPN New York. This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN. All right, so they resume play at City Field, and the Mets have taken a 2-1 to lead. A sack fly by Mark Hanna, and then a sharp ground out by Brett Beatty to end the inning. The uh, play resumed with the Mets and Nats tied at one with the bases loaded and one out. So not a bad job by the Nats to pitch out of that, but the Mets do take the lead. I assume it's David Robertson who will be coming in for the top of the ninth inning to try to close it out for the Mets. As Look, if the Mets are going to do anything here, they've got to beat teams like Washington, um, and they've got to beat teams like Kansas City, and that's who their next seven games are against. Do they have a 6-1 and one run in them? Well, if you lose the first game to Washington, 6-1 and one is a lot harder to come by. So we'll see if they can close it out. So I mentioned this a couple of times. And the Yankees are in this situation now where they're old, they're stale, they're crusty, they're not all that entertaining to watch. They're out of the playoff picture. They have teams that are more exciting to watch closing in on them that are also out of the playoff picture but have more momentum right now. It's not good right now for the Yankees. Um, John Carlos Stanton in 2017 with the Marlins was the MVP of the National League. 289, 59 home runs, 132 runs batted in. He had a 1,007 OPS. 850 OPS is all-star level. His was 1,007. All right. That offseason, Stanton was traded to the Yankees for Starlin Castro, Jorge Guzman, and Jose Devers. Not Rafael Devers, by the way. Jose Devers. Uh, He had, at the time, at the time, he had 11 years left on his contract, which was still worth $310 million. By the way, Also, a club option for 2028 when he will be 38 years old and due to make $25 million. I can't imagine that the Yankees are going to pick up that club option. I guess if they do pick up that club option, that means Stanton is still playing 
well at that point in his career, but I don't see that as a huge possibility. Okay, the very next offseason, Bryce Harper signs for 13 years and $330 million. So Brian Cashman, and I have said this repeatedly, I strongly feel that the Yankees, who had something going in 2017, those were the baby bombers, for real. Judge, Sanchez, Severino, Aaron Hicks was a representative Major League Baseball player at that point. They went to Game 7 of the ALCS against the Astros. They lost. They were on their way. They had something going after that 91-71 and 71 season. Stanton joins the team in 2018, had a pretty good, better than pretty good, had a good regular season, a very disappointing playoffs. And since then, the Yankees have not gotten as far as Game 7 of the ALCS, which they reached right before they acquired Stanton in 2017, also which they reached right before they fired or let Joe Girardi go and hired Aaron Boone to manage the team. And when you bring in somebody with 11 years and $310 million left on his contract, what it does is it ties up your finances going forward. So in the next offseason after 2018, the Yankees weren't players when they could have gotten Harper or Manny Machado. They didn't even get a guy like Michael Brantley, who I thought could have made a lot of sense in New York. In 2019, the Yankees, after the disappointing finish in 2018, the Yankees ponied up again after the 2019 season. They lost to the Astros. They signed one of their best pitchers. They signed Garrett Cole. So now more money, although that's been good money. Cole's been good. But after the 2020 season, here are the contracts, the big contracts after 2020. JT Real Muto, five years, $115 million. Would you rather be paying Real Muto five years for 115, or would you rather be paying Giancarlo Stanton 11 years at $310 million? You also could have had George Springer six years, $150 million. Basically what happened was the Stanton trade, I think Cashman seeing how little he would have to give up in terms of prospects, and the fact that early on in that contract, the Marlins were going to pick up some of Stanton's salary. And I believe that's done now. I think the Yankees at this point in the contract five years later are on the hook for everything up until they can decline that club option in 2028. But I think he looked at the fact that the Marlins would be kicking in some of the money and that he wouldn't have to give up a ton of prospects, really just his starting second baseman. And they had Glaber Torres waiting in the wings to take over that job anyway. I think that made Cashman jump at it. And when you sign Stanton or trade Stanton, trade for Stanton before the 2018 season, you don't have any money left over to try to sign Bryce Harper after the 2018 season. And since then, so Harper's first year in Philadelphia, since 2019. And Harper hasn't been, you know, the model of health and consistency either. But since 2019, when Harper went to Philadelphia, when the Yankees could have been players for him that offseason. By the way, Harper, left-handed bat, if you haven't seen him play. Harper has played 511 games, and Stanton has played 330. Harper has hit 104 home runs, Stanton 82. Harper, 319 runs batted in, 
Stanton 222 RBIs, and Harper has won one MVP since then. So better player, younger player, and even though Harper gets injured more than you would like, a more durable player than Giancarlo Stanton. And if you look at Harper now, and he just moved to first base, we'll see how long that lasts and if that's really the long-term plan for him. And then also factoring in that he's a left-handed hitter in Yankee Stadium, who, by the way, for what it's worth, always wanted to play for the Yankees. The Stanton trade in December of 2017 prevented the Yankees from signing younger, cheaper talent than the contract that Stanton was on. Harper, Machado, Real Muto, Springer, and then you spin it into last offseason. Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon, Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman right now is on a six-year, $162 million contract. He makes $32 million this year. Stanton makes $32 million this year. It all goes back to that. And Stanton hasn't been – a couple things about Stanton, all right? He's been injured, yes. He's not playing well this year, we know. But his tenure as a Yankee, he's played well in the postseason except for 2018. When healthy, he's played well in the regular season. He was terrific in the regular season his first year. I think he had 38 home runs in 2018 and carried the Yankees in the second half of the season when Aaron Judge was out. And he's always, always been a stand-up guy. He's gotten a lot of flack from fans, from the media, but more specifically from the fans. And he's always at his locker. He's always accountable. He's been a stand-up guy. So Stanton himself hasn't been just a complete disaster here. But when you consider what the Yankees were unable to do by making that trade for Stanton and the fact that he is a right-handed power hitter, something that at the time of that trade the Yankees had in spades from Judge to Gary Sanchez. And they didn't know at the time what Sanchez was going to turn out to be. It just prevented them from doing so many other things in subsequent offseasons, and they're still, they're still trying to dig out from that. Big come-from-behind win for the Mets tonight at City Field, 2-1. to one. Both runs scored in the bottom of the eighth inning, one before about an hour rain delay and one after the rain delay. Uh, so the Mets take the first of this four-game weekend series against the Nats at City Field. We'll talk about that. Does it change anything for the Mets as we continue here on 98.7 ESPN New York? They're old, they're stale, they're crusty. This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN. Meet the Mets. All right. Meet the Mets. This is two nights in a row, guys. Pat O'Keefe with... Harvey Cruz, Joe Leo, two nights in a row, tail end of this show. Harvey, we got a little bit of breaking news. From one classic jingle to another. This is from Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic. Now, the Mets just wrapped up a 2-1 to victory over the Washington Nationals. And I kept saying that coming out of the rain delay, we expected with the Mets, or not coming out of the rain delay, going into the top of the ninth inning with the Mets up 2-1, to one, the expectation was for David Robertson to come on and close it out. Instead, it was Brooks Raley who pitched a scoreless ninth inning, picked up his second save of the season. Well, the reason why it was Brooks Raley 
and not David Robertson. According to Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic, the Mets are trading David Robertson to the Marlins. So if there was any question wow. how the Mets view themselves right now, buyers or sellers, contenders on the fringe of contention, still wanting to go for it. If there was any question, I think this answers a lot of those questions because wow. the weakest part of the Mets, even weaker than the lineup itself, is the bullpen. And the bullpen has been shaky all season long uh, for a staff that doesn't give you a ton of length. And what you have just done and we don't know the full terms of the trade, but what the Mets have just done is trade their most reliable, most consistent guy from that bullpen to a team within their own division. One of the teams that the Mets are actually trying to chase for one of the wild card spots. So again, Ken Rosenthal says that the Mets are trading David Robertson to the Marlins. Sources tell The Athletic. 1-800-919-3776. Let's go to Ed in Newark. Ed, what's up? Hey, guys, I'm on here with uh, my son as well, Gabe, who's the one that actually uh, got the, uh, the information and related to me as, as we were watching it on uh, the, 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 you know, the, the, the end of the game on SNY. And I'm listening. Uh, um, um, and, 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 and one of the things uh, that they mentioned is that, you know, there's hope and this. And, and in the meantime, you know, they make this trade. So. My son lined up actually who 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 we got so I'm, I'm gonna put him on Gabe. Tell him who they who, Gabe who the breaking the trade. All right, Gabe. What what do you got, Gabe? What are your sources telling you? Well, first off, I think that this is the best move for the franchise. I think the Mets for a couple of years now they've always had expiring contracts that they've kind of just let go. Uh, they don't necessarily trade them, try to get the most out of these assets, and that's the thing that you see a lot of these other savvy organizations do. So I really like this move. shows progress for the Mets and the Steve Cohen era. Uh, but I think Miami was a good target just because you look at their farm system, and a lot of these prospects are pitching and specifically left-handed pitchers, which is something that obviously all Mets fans know that we need. Um, and, yeah, I absolutely love this trade, and I hope that we get at least some of these prospects. And, I mean, you just saw Lucas Giolito, who's – a back of the back of the rotation starter get moved for the Angels second and third prospects, and that granted the Angels farm system isn't anything crazy, uh, but you know that just that sets the market right. So you know the market plays itself out, and if that's what Lucas Giolito went for, I'm I'm pretty excited to see uh, what the return was <clears throat> for David Robinson, especially considering how strong the pitching farm system is uh, for the Marlins. Well, we'll be monitoring Ken Rosenthal to see uh, if we know what the package is that the Mets are getting back. Gabe, that was great analysis, so uh, thank you for uh, helping to break a little news for us. Oh, I think we lost Ed and Gabe, but thank you, guys. Uh, excited Mets fans there. So that that's a statement, right? So the Marlins are right now on the outside looking in. They're one half game behind both Philadelphia and Cincinnati who are tied for the second and third wild card spots. Marlins themselves are a half game out and tied with the Arizona Diamondbacks. So it's really, really tightly packed. The Cubs have now won six in a row, and they're only four games out of a wild card spot. So are they going to trade Cody Bellinger? I still think they will. Uh, the Padres, who knows what they're thinking? You know, they're treading water exactly the same as the Mets are. Padres and the Mets haven't moved it seems like for a month. Pods are six and a half out. Mets are seven out. So this is a statement from the Mets. As they win tonight, game one of a four-game series against Washington to improve to 48-54, and 54, 
You know, people have been saying all along, you're not going to take the Mets serious as contenders until they get to 500. They're still a long way from 500. This stretch is their best chance to get back to 500 relatively quickly with three more games against Washington and three more games against Kansas City after that. Can you go 5-1 and one during that stretch? If you go 5-1 and one during that stretch, then you're within two games of 500. But by that point... The trade deadline has come and gone. Again, earlier in the show, Mark Feinsand of MLB.com tweeted that now sources are saying there is a possibility that the Mets could trade Justin Verlander also. The biggest and most tradable commodities on their team were in no particular order. David Robertson, Justin Verlander, and Jose Quintana. For the positions that they play, for the salaries that they earn, for their pedigree, for how they're pitching right now, if the Mets are really going to you know, hit this at the right time, those are the three guys who they have to maximize the assets for, and one of them is already gone. David Robertson, according to Ken Rosenthal, traded to the Marlins, announced moments after the Mets wrapped up a 2-1 to win over the Nationals that David Robertson did not close out. We'll talk more about this as we continue here on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN. All right, so our crack reporting team of Harvey and Joe uh, scouring Twitter. Uh, Both John Heyman, Joel Sherman of the Post reporting the two players the Mets are getting back in exchange for David Robertson. One of them is Marco Vargas, who is an infielder, 18 years old, playing in rookie ball and currently the 18th-ranked prospect on the Marlins' list of top prospects. The other is 19-year-old catcher Ronald Hernandez, also in rookie ball, and the 21st-ranked prospect for the Miami Marlins. So an 18-year-old infielder, a 19-year-old catcher, that is the return for the Mets trading their closer, David Robertson, after they improved to 48 and 54 with a two to one win over the Washington Nationals, a couple quick calls here. Let's go to George and Pearl River. George, what's up? Howard Cosell, take it away, Gabby. I'll be back in 60 seconds. What's up, Pat? That was a great newsbreaker, especially when the callers do it. And uh, Pat, that kid was good, a- by the way. His analysis was good. Yeah, no. Th- th- listen, th- this area of the country is is rich with talent, unbelievable talent. It does come out through the callers, which I think is great. I don't believe in suppression of talent. I don't believe in, you know, censorship and stuff like that. But unfortunately, it happens a lot of times out of jealousy. You do a good job, right? But the thing is, um, I've always felt this way. First of all, I felt the Yankees should have signed Bryce Harper, but I knew when they got Stanton it would be a problem. But this is what I would do if Stevie Cohen made me the president of operations. This guy's pouring millions, billions of dollars into this team by buying and everything. Um, I would say let's sign the American kids at 16 years old. Not all of them. They have to get the consent of their parents, get them into the minor league system. It is not easy. Any kid, now kids in foreign countries get signed they have a giant advantage being in the minor league system. You don't have to go to – I mean, they go to school and everything, and so would the American kids at 16. But the thing is, if you're in the minor league system, major league baseball, you have a giant, giant advantage. You have the best faculties. You have the best coaches and everything, and you're basically concentrating on baseball. A lot of kids, I've seen it also, talented kids start to lose interest in the game, school, homework, high school, then college. So I think if I'm advising Stevie Cohen, you're pouring that money – Fight the American, uh, the uh, 
other owners of Major League Baseball sign the American kids at 16 years old. That's a thing that's coming. You want to hear something funny, Pat? The only person who ever agreed with me is the legendary uh, um, John Sterling. And, and let me end up this call with a great signature line. Go, Pat, go. George, thanks a lot, man. Uh, let's go to Jonathan in L.A. Jonathan, what's up? Hey, how's it going, Pat O'Keefe? Pretty good show. And you could have made it any clearer when you start naming all those uh, players that the Yankees could have got these past seasons. But you got to understand, man, that uh, Giancarlo at the time came out of an MVP season. And what Cashman gave up for him, I mean, even I would do it. I would do it again. But, I mean, once again, we got to deal with the, you know, with the end of uh, last year. But, hey, man, look, it could have been worse. The Cashman could have signed Patrick Corvin. Imagine having that contract right now with all these other contracts. That would have been really, really bad, man. Uh, hopefully, Cashman is cooking something good. Hopefully, he gets something good. And uh, got to stay positive, brother. Go Yanks. Jonathan, thanks for the call. Yeah, I remember. I remember when Patrick Corbin was in Yankee Stadium for a visit um, just a couple of years ago when he was one of the, the hot tickets on the free agent market, and he's done very little ever since then. So, yeah, I guess from that respect, it could have been worse. The reason why Cashman was able to only give up Starling Castro and two minor leaguers for Giancarlo Stanton is because what Castro was giving up was the money. He was taking that. He basically saved the Marlins franchise in Miami. They couldn't operate with that contract. And Cashman took all of that for the Yankees. And then it just destroyed their flexibility. And it destroyed their ability to get somebody like Bryce Harper and JT Real Muto and Corey Seager and on and on and on, all positions of need. So the combination of that, the combination of, you know, misreading your own gaggle of prospects and thinking more of them than they actually are. And hopefully for the Yankees' sake, Anthony Volpe isn't the next in that long line. I'm not even close to ready to say that he is. But it's not like he's come out his first half of his first Major League Baseball season and really blown you away. So, all right, exciting night here. Uh, Yanks, by the way, back in action tomorrow in a huge, huge three-game weekend series in Baltimore against the Orioles. The Mets do win, come from behind, beat the Nats 2-1. to one. After the game, trade David Robertson to the Miami Marlins for two minor league prospects. So the fire sale is on for the New York Mets. It's going to be an interesting weekend. Oh, my goodness. They're old, they're stale, they're crusty. 